Welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. Hello, my name is Greg Monteith. Welcome to the second of three episodes discussing the White Horse Inn podcast, Do All Paths Lead to God? As I mentioned in the previous episode, the White Horse Inn podcast that I am, an, I am examining was posted in the Untangling Christianity Facebook group. The episode was posted in the context of a broader discussion about whether Christians mostly engage well with non-Christians. In other words, whether they are mostly aware of the perspective of the non-Christians with whom they are interacting, and whether they offer the same amount of respect to those perspectives that they want and expect non-Christians to offer to Christian perspectives. This episode was posted by a listener as an example of how Christians do, in fact, respond well to non-Christians, how they engage thoughtfully, on point, and respectfully with non-Christians. It is in this vein that I've been offering my response to the White Horse Inn podcast, Do All Paths Lead to God? Last episode, I explained that I found it difficult to listen to the White Horse Inn podcast, most especially because, in my view, the presenters engage with non-Christian non ideas in both a reductionistic manner and from a blatantly Christian orientation. In other words, their approach, broadly speaking, is very much the approach I am criticizing. In this podcast, I will examine two specific cases, and the next episode will examine two or three more cases of the types of approaches that I believe demonstrate a lack of respect for non-Christians, and that result simply in widening the gap between Christians and non-Christians rather than cultivating meaningful and productive conversation. For this first case, given that the podcast content was strikingly different than what would be expected from its title, I find the priorities for the investigation that they did carry out to be worrying. So at the 3 minute 15 mark, the speaker first notes their intention to determine if the idea that, quote, all paths lead to God, quote, is consistent with Christ's teaching, and next to determine if the idea is, in their words, reasonable. Now, perhaps the order of these two is arbitrary, and the speakers would actually change the order if this were drawn to their attention, but given the tone and content of the podcast, I don't think so. And if, these, if this order, first conformity with Christ's teaching and second conformity with reason, is not arbitrary, but represents the priorities that the speakers are advocating, then this should immediately raise red flags. First, as I mentioned last episode, anyone who knows anything about Christianity knows that when four evangelicals discuss whether one can get to God, other than by accepting Jesus as their, quote, Lord and Savior, quote, the answer is automatically going to be no. Yet where the White Horse Inn podcast apparently has the aim of helping Christians engage well with non-Christians on the question of whether all paths lead to God, and does so by prioritizing conformity with Christ's teaching ahead of conformity with reason, this means one of two things. Either that Christianity is obviously reasonable, and so there's the expectation that non-Christians would accept this as a foregone conclusion, which clearly they would dispute, or that this ordering assumes that Christianity is in some way outside of or above the criteria of reasonableness. Once again, I'm not certain why this order was chosen. In fact, given what I think everyone in North America and most of the Western world knows about evangelical Christianity, 
I have no idea why conformity with Christ's teachings even needs to be discussed. If anything, they could simply have mentioned that Christians disagree with this view and then move on to discussing the matter in a way that would be both helpful for Christians and not alienating for non-Christians. So to the extent that the speakers intend to help Christians engage well with non-Christians on this subject, and especially to the extent that they have even the mildest concern to engage non-Christian audiences with this podcast or validate the truth claims that they make in the podcast to non-Christians, neither of the above options is acceptable. The first option, assuming that Christianity is reasonable, is not only unfair in that we would expect non-Christians to accept as valid a perspective that by virtue of being non-Christian, they obviously reject, it is also unwarranted. They offer no basis or evidence for this claim. In other words, it would make the assumption of Christianity's reasonableness without ever offering the criteria upon which this assumption is based. Now, as an aside, I will be addressing this point about, in other words, what counts as evidence and how and when it should be offered in the next episode, so stay tuned for that. To use an analogy, if you would not buy a car, take a job, or marry a person without sufficient information that doing so was a essentially a good idea, why would you ever believe something without some information, offering at least some validation, that this was a good or truthful thing to believe? You wouldn't. And this is exactly the type of question that an integrated perspective asks. Now, evaluating a belief system is both related to purchasing a car, accepting a job offer, and marrying a person, and distinct, or different, from these things. Yet while the distinctions need to be understood and respected, Christians typically view Christian or spiritual matters as being wholly distinct from non-Christian or non-spiritual matters. And this neither reflects reality, nor does it actually reflect the biblical material on the interrelation of creation and salvation. Life and faith are distinct and related. The second position, that Christianity is in some way outside of or above the criteria of reasonableness, is both contradictory and potentially nonsensical. It would, somehow, place Christianity beyond the assessment of reason, or at least perhaps beyond the reason of non-Christians. Yet doing so would be entirely inconsistent, because throughout the podcast the presenters repeatedly appeal to reason and logic to show why non-Christian perspectives are flawed, with the implication that they expect non-Christian listeners, or those non-Christians who listen to the Christians who follow the podcaster's instructions on how to engage with non-Christians, to be reasonable enough to understand these arguments and to be logical enough to concede that the arguments are valid. In other words, they're trying to impress logically upon non-Christians, whether directly or indirectly through other Christians, the points that they're making. Now, where a belief is considered to be outside of the criteria of reasonableness, this amounts to what is called fideism. Fideism within Christianity is a big topic and merits several podcasts of its own, so I will only be able to touch on it briefly here. On a strict fideous view, one believes not because it is reasonable or rational to do so, but because the matter at hand, such as Christianity, is beyond the rational. And so faith is the only appropriate and possible response. Oftentimes, faith in the face of paradox. 
The theological arguments for fideism take several forms. The weak form states that human reason is inapplicable to faith because non-Christians cannot arrive at some form of saving knowledge, if you will, of God without the Holy Spirit's assistance. The strong form asserts that, and this is a quotation, quote, human sin has so damaged human reason as to make it impossible for human reason to evaluate religious truth claims properly, end quote. And that is from C. Stephen Evans' 1998 book, Faith Beyond Reason, and that's page 16. So Christianity and its truth claims cannot be assessed by reason, many Christians argue. Yet the problems, and indeed deficiencies, with the strong view of the fideist argument are numerous. The first problem, it overstates the implication of sin for non-Christians, both theologically and experientially. So Calvin's notion of total depravity overstates the matter in believing that God's image in humanity was completely shattered as of Genesis 3. The evidence? Biblically, both Genesis 5 and 9 make reference to God's image in humanity that cannot be restricted to a historical reference. More compellingly, look around you. Every day you will see non-Christians making choices and using their reason to do truly valuable and morally good things. Not all the time, and not entirely, although interestingly that's the same with Christians. But they do so enough, in my view, to discredit Calvin's conclusion. This leads to the second problem. The strong form of the argument understates or even ignores the necessary interplay between faith and life. It does so in two ways. The first way concerns how the strong version typically characterizes reason, or better, the philosophical view of reason that it typically holds. Not always, but typically. This view, called philosophical modernism, in my view drastically overstates the power and scope of human reason. For example, modernism maintains that humans can achieve objective knowledge, in other words, that they can be certain that what they know is true, and that all rational people will arrive at the same understandings, because all people have the same faculty of reason. Let me be clear. I reject this view of reason for various reasons. There are good theological reasons for doing so. An obvious one is that it contradicts the belief that only God truly knows truly and with certainty, while humans necessarily interpret. And so mixing up this distinction and treating humans as though they were essentially divine would be considered idolatrous. There are also many philosophical reasons to reject this view, and, most of all, we can reject it simply because it doesn't stand up to the test of actual use. It both assumes too much of reason and applies reason's nature and effects too globally and uniformly. We might also object that human beings clearly have a range of capacities and faculties, of which reason is but one. This leads to the second way that the strong theological view understates or even ignores the interplay between life and faith. This second way concerns how a number of key Christian truth claims can only be evaluated experientially, such as the human predisposition to self-deceit or the reality of God's love for human beings. So where non-Christians deny Christianity because, for example, they have been presented with no real-life evidence for the claim that God loves us, or no content appropriate to prove its truthfulness, this clearly shows that non-Christians have understood the claim just fine.
Further, while faith is always involved in embracing Christianity, as far as I can see, the notion that non-Christians cannot, quote, evaluate religious truth claims properly, quote, is nearly impossible to assess, because most Christians are either unable properly to situate such claims and present evidence for them, or they do not believe that such evidence is even required, because, after all, non-Christians can't competently evaluate it. In other words, this view is self-fulfilling, but then goes on to blame the other party, the non-Christians, for the outcome. Next episode, I will argue that non-Christians are indeed able to evaluate Christian truth claims competently in terms of, ex- of assessing them as having truth value or not relative the, to the claim in question, if not, perhaps, able, unaided, to act upon them. And they are able to evaluate these claims competently, provided that Christians create the proper environment for dialogue and provide the proper content for evaluation relative to the claim being discussed. And of course, Christians need to have the proper expectations and, if you will, success measures following such an interaction. So here's a brief example. In my view, adjudicating the truth value of God's love requires at least three things. First, the full range of human capacities, such as imagination, reason, memory, creativity, etc. Second, applying these capacities to the relevant contexts, such as accounts, both my own and that of others, through testimony, accounts of situations and events that we interpret to concern God's love. And third, we need to constrain the above by appropriate pre-understandings such as God's nature and character, human nature and character, and how the two are best to relate. And in terms of expectations, well, I expect under the right conditions to have a conversation. I don't expect to convince anyone of anything. Just having the conversation in a truly open and respectful manner constitutes success. So non-Christians do have enough functional reason to understand Christian truth claims well enough. And if Christians are able to present the relevant truth values for these truth claims within the proper environment and with the proper evidence, the non-Christians can evaluate them well enough at least to find them plausible or not plausible. The third point is that the approach itself, taken by Christians who favor the strong theological view, is internally inconsistent. Specifically, Christians claim that non-Christians cannot understand Christian truth claims, but, somehow, they are not only able to understand Christian claims about Christian truth claims, i.e., Christians obviously believe that non-Christians have enough functional reason to understand the claim that you as a non-Christian can't understand truth claims about Christianity because of sin. Not only that, but these same Christians also believe that they can persuade non-Christians by this argument, because non-Christians are sufficiently, clearly, reasonable and logical enough to be persuaded by an argument, and because non-Christians see reality, in quotes, if you will, in effectively the same way that Christians do. For example, at at the 9 minute 35 second mark, a presenter says, I'm presenting these arguments. I hope that they persuade you. Let us both submit to reality. If this weren't contradiction enough, these same Christians also hold non-Christians to be culpable 
when they are not persuaded by these arguments. For these reasons and others, I view strict fideism to be inherently contradictory, and so I view it as an illegitimate way either to understand Christian faith or for Christians to engage with non-Christians. Finally, where Christianity is considered to be above the criteria of reason, and yet Christianity is viewed as humanity's highest aim, this means that something can ultimately be considered to be virtuous or of worth only where it can be shown to be Christian. In other words, from this perspective, Christian belief is the ultimate benchmark, with the implication that Christians need not listen to or value the views of outsiders. If you have the only really valuable views— and beliefs, then this inevitably breeds condescension and monologue. And this is exactly what I'm picking up on in this podcast, and what I perceive to be so common when Christians engage with non-Christians. The most remarkable point, from my perspective, is that despite the command to love not only their neighbors, but their enemies, Christians continually fail to notice how uncharitable their approaches to non-Christians actually are. In other words, being unfair, contradictory, and potentially even nonsensical. I want to move on to a second case now. My disagreement in case two is simply the other side of the coin from the point that I raised last podcast, which is part one of this three-part series. Last podcast, I took issue with the obvious insincerity of a group of evangelical Christians discussing, and so supposedly investigating, the question do all paths lead to God? When once again, anyone who knows anything about Christianity, and particularly evangelicals, knows in advance that evangelicals already have their minds made up on the matter. And so the only discussion is about how and how much those who think this way are wrong. So the title is very misleading. It would have been much more accurate to entitle the episode something like God is not one, or Christians explain why all paths don't lead to God. Yet my point here is that there's more than just the title of the podcast that is misleading. Let's begin at the 3 minute 45 mark, when one speaker asks, is it politically incorrect to say that Christianity is the only true religion? This leads to a brief comment about the coexist bumper sticker and how it is actually produced by the Baha'i faith. Now I'm pointing this out because the exchange is so brief that it would be very easy to miss. Yet this link to the Baha'i faith is actually the crucial connection for the entire podcast. Specifically, if you wanted to express the Baha'i perspective in one sentence, well, the view that is under fire in this podcast is it. All paths lead to God, say the Baha'i. Yet throughout the entire remainder of the podcast, the speakers do not associate their topic of all paths leading to God with the Baha'i nor do they address their critiques of this view to the Baha'i belief system. Instead, they generalize the view to all non-Christians. So at the 2 minute 50 second mark, Michael Horton explains that we, quote, often hear from various sectors of both popular and academic cultures that all paths lead to God, end quote. Again, at 1845 mark, a speaker explains that, quote, through the indoctrination of academic culture, that this one religion is true, the religion of John Lennon is true, the religion of coexist, the religion of all roads lead to God, end quote. The speakers spend the entire podcast showing how the view that all paths lead to God is confused, contradictory, and ultimately mistaken. 
they do so by addressing the objections that those who hold this view levy at Christianity. What the speakers claim to be the popular notion that non-Christians view Christian truth claims to be abusive because they are exclusive. The presenters then respond to this notion of exclusive truth claims with a number of comparisons, such as with political correctness at 3 minutes 45, relativism versus political coercion at 5 minutes, equality of persons versus all beliefs being equal at 5 minutes 25, and the societal fairness doctrine at 12 minutes 30 seconds, to name a few. As well as by noting the inherent logic that claiming one thing means necessarily not claiming anything else. And while I would present the matter differently and shore up my points with different arguments and evidence than the presenters, I fully agree with their conclusion that the pre- And while I would present the matter differently and shore up my points with different arguments and evidence than the presenters, I fully agree with their conclusion that the view that all paths lead to God is contradictory confused, and mistaken. It does not work. So, what's the issue? We agree, right? The issue is about honesty. So in this context, being honest means overtly directing the entire discussion towards the audience that is obviously being addressed. Adherence to the Baha'i faith, and perhaps anyone else who happens to be sympathetic to their beliefs. Yet while they made a passing reference to the Baha'i faith, the speakers instead generalized the view that all paths lead to God to all non-Christians. Then they neatly dissected and disposed of the view, pronouncing it dead, and those who hold it to be, well, silly. Then they went, then they offer tips and tactics to help Christians engage well with non-Christians. So the entire podcast can be summarized like this. One, Many, and maybe most, non-Christians believe that all paths lead to God. Two, the view that all paths lead to God is confused, contradictory, and ultimately mistaken. Three, therefore many, and maybe most, non-Christians are therefore confused, illogical, and ultimately mistaken when it comes to their beliefs. Four, Christians can use a few simple tips and tactics to present the truth to non-Christians. Very simple. Very straightforward. The problem is that it's not true. In technical terms, the presenters have essentially created and then gone on easily to defeat a straw man. A straw man argument is an argument that supposedly represents an opponent's view, but in actual fact represents an argument that is weaker and usually simpler and potentially unrelated to the actual argument. So by choosing the weakest possible manifestation of an anti Christian argument, and then showing it, surprise, surprise, to be invalid, the presenters give the impression of A. Really understanding non-Christian views. B. Sincerely engaging with non-Christian views. C. Decisively defeating non-Christian views. And D. Clearly showing other Christians how to do the same. Yet this approach is not only inaccurate and even dishonest, it is actually self-defeating. In other words, by choosing the weakest possible opponent and then claiming victory, first, Christians fool themselves into thinking that their position is strong when in fact it is weak or even irrelevant to stronger versions of non-Christian arguments. Second, Christians simply reinforce the prevailing non-Christian view that Christians are out of touch with reality. 
And third, Christians likewise reinforce the prevailing non-Christian view that Christian claims about loving others and respecting their viewpoints are simply bogus. The point is that none of the non-Christians that I know believe that the view that all roads lead to God is even sensible, let alone poses any reason for holding an agnostic or atheistic viewpoint. No self-respecting agnostic or atheist that I know of or am aware of actually hold this view. The only people I am aware of that hold it are Baha'i. So by mischaracterizing the views and arguments of most non-Christians, particularly since the non-Christians whom I know would actually agree that the view that all paths lead to God is confused, contradictory, and ultimately mistaken, Christians continue to disconnect with the very group they are trying most to reach. A much better approach to the whole matter, one that actually and honestly engages with the question of religious pluralism, can be found in Stephen Prothero's book, God is Not One. Prothero is professor of religion at Boston University. In fact, if one further confirmation was needed that this white horse in an episode is simply a straw man argument, there is no sense when reading Dr. Prothero's book that he is being contentious or provocative with the title. It is simply obvious. God is not one, so all paths cannot lead to God. My aim, as I perceive Prothero's to be, is to look beyond the obvious and focus on the important. That's what Christians must aim to do if they are to hope to be credible in the eyes of, and actually be respectful towards, outsiders. There are two more cases, perhaps three, that I wish to raise, but I will wait until next episode to do so. Please join me for the third of three episodes discussing the White Horse Inn podcast, Do All Paths Lead to God, as I examine how, and how well, the White Horse Inn podcasters engage with and or respond to non-Christians and their views. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Untangling Christianity podcast. A summary and resources for this episode are at our website, untanglingchristianity.com. If you'd like to join our private Facebook group or reach us by email, send your requests, questions, or even a simple hello to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is provided by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license.